Okay. This might be my first time giving a sermon in a coat. All right, hold on. All right, as Megan mentioned, uh, the theme of the year is increase. And we've already had some sermons like uh, increase your capacity to receive. God wants to satisfy you, uh, words like that. And God's given me a, another word uh, tonight to encourage increase in this house and to encourage one of the first steps that needs to happen in order for there to be increase here. And so I'm going to share just some of the things that God's been putting on my heart and uh, looking ahead to this new year. And I'm also going to share some revelations that Pastor Robert Daniels and Pastor Benjamin shared with myself, Pastor Aaron, and Sky uh, when we were at a coffee shop a few weeks ago. The title of tonight's sermon is The Greater Levels of Faith. The Greater Levels of Faith. We will be using our Bibles tonight, so I hope you have your Bibles ready. The Greater Levels of Faith. water's cold. All right, let me say a word of prayer for us, and uh, then we'll get right into the message. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here tonight, and uh, we thank you so much for your presence that is here. And uh, we love your presence, God. We love your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives within us, and we thank you that you're moving around in this room. And God, it's our prayer that you just have your way tonight. It's our prayer that you release dreams and visions. It's our prayer that you release, Lord, anointing, and that you just continue to lift us up higher and higher and higher. We thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 2011 has truly been a year of transition. As you guys know, Kim Jong-il just uh, passed away. Uh, Gaddafi of Libya, another uh, former dictator, also died this year, as did Osama bin Laden. So you had three of the biggest names uh, all passed away this year, and in, in recent years, Hussein, uh, Pres- uh, Saddam Hussein also died, and uh, other leaders. So you see the Middle East, um, a lot of leaders have been overthrown. There's a lot of shifting that is happening in the world today. And this is my personal opinion. This isn't the opinion of New Philadelphia Church. Uh, I just want to say that and make it clear. But what I feel is that as these so-called evil dictators are, you know, have passed away or have been killed, uh, and a lot of people have been freed or are about to be freed you know, around them, um, it's clear that it's, world peace isn't happening anytime soon. Uh, and it's not going to get a lot better, uh, but what I feel is it's going to get a lot darker. And a lot of people saw when Hitler you know, died, okay, maybe it'll get better, but no, you had Stalin, no, you have Mao Zedong, you have Pol Pot, you have uh, all these other different dictators that step up. And it actually tends to get darker And the reason for this is because Jesus prophesied about it, okay, in Matthew 24. He said that it would get darker, okay, that that things would get harder uh, as the end times were approaching. But at the same sense, as it gets darker, we become brighter, amen? Our light begins to increase more and more. Uh, He begins to shine through us more and more. And what you need to know is that when the Israelites took the promised land, there was not peace and joy all around them. Uh, The fact is that idolatry actually increased in the nations around them. And if you look at the empires, they became more and more ruthless around Israel. And as Israel began to be oppressed, as they began to compromise, God was pushing them to greater levels of faith. And he was basically telling them, you have to rely on me completely or you will be overtaken. 
you will be completely overtaken. And if you read Second Chronicles and Second Kings, these are books that I love because I, I love history. I love learning from, from mistakes. If you read those books, you will see these kings will try and manipulate things in their own way. They will take the money out of the Lord's temple, out of the treasury, and they'll give it to the kings, and they'll try and manipulate peace. And they'll try and manipulate their own provision, their own, their own care. They'll try and use the ways of the world rather than looking to God. And every time this happens, there is peace for a short time. And then oppression comes back even stronger. And what God is saying is, look to me. And you have amazing moments in history, like in Second Chronicles 20, when King Jehoshaphat said, there's nothing we can do, but our eyes are on you. There's nothing we can do, God, but our eyes are on you. He became clear, look, I can't manipulate this situation. I can't look for my own provision. I can't try and, and change things so that I'm going to be okay. It's clear. It's got to be you, God. You have to provide. And that was a greater level of faith that God was calling them to. And you know what? God delivered them in amazing ways. It was the same with King Hezekiah. At first, he tried to manipulate things. He tried to take the Lord's treasury and pay it off so that the Babylonians wouldn't overtake him. The Syrians, I'm sorry, wouldn't overtake him. And they left him alone for a little bit, but then they came back even stronger. And he realized his mistake. He realized that he had put his faith in money and in this world rather than in God. And so the second time, he turned to Isaiah and he turned to the Lord. And God delivered them in a mighty way. What I'm going to share tonight is the greater levels of faith that I feel that God is calling us to. And I've been speaking this over some of the Pusan team members recently because I know that some of them have been attacked with different fears. Like, am I ready? I don't know. I feel like you know, my faith isn't strong enough. I feel like I don't even have faith. And it's not that they don't have faith. Uh, but when I pray for them, I, I just know that, no, you're, you're good right where you're at right now. You have the faith that you need, but God is taking you to a greater level of faith. He's going to show his provision in an even greater way. Okay, easy example of this is if God told you right now, hey, I want you to pray for your neighbor after service. Okay, that would take a level of faith. All right, I need to ask this person and then pray for them and hope that God moves. That would take a level of faith. Now, if you were on the streets tonight going back to the station and God said, I want you to pray for that stranger, that's going to take a greater level of faith. Now you're going to have to step out a little more, right? Both require faith, but there's a greater level of faith. Now, what if you're at work and God says, I want you to evangelize to all your coworkers. I want you to share your testimony in front of all of them. Greater level of faith. Do you understand? God builds us up, though. He's faithful and he builds us up. It's the same with a church plant. We first started in Seoul. That took a level of faith. Pusan's going to take a greater level of faith. And so that team's going to be even greatly, more greatly honored. Now, what, what, what about when we go to Japan, to China, to North Korea? That's going to take an even greater level of faith. But God prepares us. He builds us up. But what we need to be is expectant. We need to be attentive, and we need to be claiming this. And uh, I know a lot of you guys are, are raising support. And raising support money requires a level of faith. Okay, and there's an increase in this faith. When I first came out, uh, I could live off of very little. And so I needed faith that God would provide that amount of money. But to be honest, it wasn't a huge amount that I needed. Uh, and I trust in God and he provided. But as I've been out here for six years now, my monthly needs have increased quite a bit. Now that I'm married, it's increased a lot more. Okay, now you're providing for two people, not just one. Think about that. So it's taking a greater level of faith. And just to, just to wake you guys up in raising support, I know that, that your minimum is 1600 a month. The average missionary raises $6,000 a month. I don't know if you're aware of that. Now, I've seen other numbers that were a lot higher than that. 
Um, but that was one of the lower numbers I saw. The average missionary raises $6,000 a month. And it ranges between 2000 which is the, the low of the low, 2000 to $12,000 a month for missionaries. Now, that might seem like a lot, but when you think about it, if you have kids, you have to put your kids through school, then you've got to put your kids through college, okay, you need a bit more than $2,000 a month. You need a lot more than $2,000 a month. But one of my concerns is that we remain in that $1,600, $2,000 mindset. That we remain in, okay, New Philly's always at Hillside. We're always in this room. That we remain at, we're just at Itaewon. We're always going to be there. We can't afford a bigger place. You see, it requires a greater level of faith to believe that God's going to provide more. It takes a greater level of faith to believe that God's going to provide not just a $100 gift or a $1,000 gift, but a $10,000 gift or a $100,000 gift or a million-dollar gift. It takes a bit more faith. But you know, if, if you're called to deliver a nation, you should be praying for more than your daily bread. You should be expecting more than your daily bread. Amen? We're praying for North Korea like we believe, okay, there's going to be reunification, and we believe that we're going to take this nation. You think our, our budget of $400,000 a year is going to cover that? No. Okay, we need to believe that God's going to provide a lot more. We need to believe that there's going to be an increase of faith that it's just going to come. It's just going to come. Joseph went from a prisoner to second in the kingdom in a day. Daniel went from a slave to second in the kingdom in a day. Okay, Mordecai went from a gatekeeper or just, just one standing outside the gates to second in the kingdom in a day. Think about this. But it takes a greater level of faith. It takes a belief in this, that we're not supposed to remain in those prison clothes. We're not supposed to remain at the gate all our life. But we need to expect God's going to open these doors. God's going to open mighty doors for this church, for us as individuals and as a church. Nathaniel declared that Jesus was the Son of God when he heard Jesus say, Oh, I saw you under the fig tree. He says, You are the Son of God. He said that, that was his, one of his first words to Jesus Christ. And Jesus responded by saying this, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel had a level of faith when he met Jesus. He said, You are the Son of God. But you know what? That level of faith wasn't enough for him to defend Jesus when Jesus was arrested. It wasn't a faith that was strong enough to be crucified beside Jesus. None of the disciples had that faith. They had faith to do miracles. They didn't have that faith to defend Jesus. But later when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as they began to walk in it, Peter wasn't just healing a cripple. That was his first, okay, after the, the outpouring. But soon it became his shadow was healing people. Soon it became handkerchiefs that touched him were healing people. You see greater levels of faith. And you know what? Every single disciple, some argue that John wasn't, but every single disciple was martyred. They all got to a level of faith where they were ready to die for the Lord. They died victoriously. Greater levels of faith. We're not called to be who we are right now the rest of our life. God wants breakthrough for this house and for us. And we know this. I just want to remind you guys, our brother Kevin Yu got taken up to heaven in 2009. I was sharing this with the Nepal team a few days ago. When we were in Myanmar, he got taken up to heaven. And he had visions of heaven uh, of different saints, uh, and a lot of time with Jesus. And if you haven't heard his testimony, you should ask him. Uh, I think a lot of you guys might not know Kevin because he was gone for a while, and then he recently came back. But in that vision, 
Jesus spoke about New Philadelphia Church. And he said, I love New Philadelphia Church. I love this house. And I'm going to pour out my spirit in a mighty way on this house so that even the newcomers are hit. He spoke that in 2009. We have yet to see that. But are you expecting it? Do you remember that word? Are you believing this? in church, I think we really need to be claiming this and expecting God and saying, God, increase our faith. Help us believe you for more. I heard that the glory of God was being poured out here at Hillside a couple weeks ago during worship. And I know it's increasing. It's been increasing here in this house. And we've had tastes of it at Itaewon as well. Though that's not what we're supposed to live by. Those are just drips. God wants to pour it out. All right. All right, that was my part. Now I'm going to share Pastor Robert Daniels, Pastor Benjamin, some of the stuff they were sharing with me. Uh, I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Revelation 18. Revelation 18. We're going to look at Revelation a little. Flip over to Isaiah, then we're going to look at Genesis. Increase of faith. What does that look like for the church, especially in these times as it's getting darker? What does it look like? Revelation 18, verses 3 through 5. This is the judgment of Babylon. It says, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Come out of her my people. So this is a passage of God's judgment on Babylon, of him passing judgment on Babylon. There's a lot of interpretations of what Babylon is exactly. Babylon is known as the mother of prostitutes, uh, if you read Revelation. But if you continue to really read Revelation 18, it's very clear that a lot of what Babylon encompasses is the economy. It is the economy. It's from you. The merchants grew rich. They grew fat. All these things. You'll read it all throughout Revelation 18. And so it's clear that God is going to bring judgment on the world's economy. We've already seen this recently with some recessions and things like that, but I don't believe that that's the end of it. Uh, It's just the beginning. And God says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Now turn back to Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. This is of the end times. This is speaking of the Antichrist's false prophet. It says this, Revelation 13, 16 through 17. Also it, which is the Antichrist false prophet, causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So what this passage says is that in the end times, those who live on this earth, if you want to do anything with the economy, you will get a mark whether on your hand or on your, on your head, okay? And by this mark, you will be able to buy and sell goods, okay? You will be able to prosper, all right? You'll be able to live under the economy as we've been living all our life. That's what this passage says. And if you continue to read in Revelation 14, God brings great judgment. Every person that has the mark of the beast is thrown into the lake of fire. They face torment day and night. That means that every single person that's acting under the economy in the end times, they're going to hell. So what about us? You know, obviously we're, we're, you know, going to avoid the mark of the beast. How are we going to survive? 
How are we going to survive? Turn your Bible to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. You take this as a straight translation, it says God's going to provide. Even when you have no money, even when the economy has fallen apart, he's going to provide more than enough for you. He is going to bless you tremendously. This requires an increased level of faith. You see, remember how I shared about how Israel, when they were pressed by those empires, they would try and manipulate the things of this world in order to get by, in order to have peace. And every time they did that, they had success for a short time, But then the oppression came even stronger. It was only when they looked to the Lord for full provision were they fully delivered. And God worked in mighty ways. And it's going to be the same in the end times. That those who look to the ways of this world, those who try and manipulate the economy, those who try and work in those different areas, try and do it on their own rather than looking to God, they will face judgment. But for those who look to the Lord for provision, they will be saved. They will be provided for. They will get more than enough. I'm going to demonstrate this through Abraham and Lot. And I want you guys to turn to Genesis 13. Go ahead, turn to Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis, a a few different uh, passages in here. Actually, Genesis 14. First book of the Bible, Genesis 14. Abraham was given promises by God that if he obeyed God, if he left the land, of his fathers, left his family, God would provide for him. God would bless him. God would make him into a great nation. God would give him a great amount of land. Abraham obeyed. And as Abraham went, he was blessed. And he got blessed to the point where he knew that his blessing was in God. It wasn't in the land. And if you read in Genesis 13, there comes to a point where Lot, his cousin, and him have gotten so blessed by God that there's not enough room for both of them. So they have to split. And so he comes up to Lot and he says, look, you can choose left or right, wherever you want to go. You will go that way. I will go the opposite. And God will bless us both. Abraham knew that it wasn't about the land. It wasn't about the conditions of this world. He knew that his blessing was in God. So he had full confidence. Lot, on the other hand, was looking to the land. He was looking to the world. He was looking to the world for his provision. And so when he looked around and he saw Sodom was a fertile place, a place where it was just so much rivers and, and life there. He said, look, I'm going to go that way. And I'm going to get blessed. Abraham said, okay, you go that way. Abraham went the opposite. He went the opposite direction of the fertile land. You know, the moment that Abraham obeyed, those next verses are God's promises to him. And God says, look, Abraham, look around. Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. I'm giving you everything. I'm going to bless you like crazy. All right, this is reminiscent of when Solomon had one wish, okay? And remember, he he could ask for anything. He could ask for riches. He could ask for favor with the nations. He could ask for for a huge kingdom. Instead, he asked for wisdom. He said, God, I want to be in tune with you. I want wisdom. And how did God respond? Immediately, he said, look, wealth is yours. Long life is yours. All these things are yours. I'm going to bless you tremendously because you're looking to me. You're looking to me. So Abraham looks to God. 
Lot, on the other hand, he looks to man. And uh, in the next chapter, what happens? Lot gets, gets taken over in a war. Uh, Sodom gets, gets routed. And all the possessions of Sodom are taken over by these rival kings. And they're dragging Lot, his family, his possessions away. So Abraham, with 318 men, with a small, small amount, he has to go and rescue Lot. And when he takes Lot out, the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says, Thank you for, for saving my people. Look, give me back my people, but you can have the possessions. You can have the spoils. I'll give them to you. Now look how Abraham responds in Genesis 14, verses 22 and 23. It says this, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. He says, I will not take from this world. I will not try and manipulate this world's economy. I will not try and do these things. My God is my provider. I will not take a sandal strap. I will not take a shoe strap from you. You can have it all. God is the one who blesses me. God is my provider. Notice his mindset. Notice his level of faith. But what does Lot do? Lot goes right back to Sodom. And what Lot doesn't know is he's destroying his family. What Lot doesn't know is that his mind is starting to turn more and more immoral, and he doesn't even know it. To the point when the angels came to Sodom to visit the city, and he takes them in, and all the men of Sodom come and bang on the door and say, send out those men so that we can sleep with them. Lot says, here, have my daughters. They're virgins. You can rape them or ravish them all night. Okay, I, I almost can guarantee Lot would have never said that if he was staying with Abraham. But because he had been in Sodom for so long, because he had been in the world system for so long, his mind was getting skewed. And he said that. And then what happens? They're running out of the city because God's going to bring judgment upon Sodom. And, and God says, don't look back. And his wife, she looks back. She can't help herself. She looks back. She turns to a pillar of salt. And now look at Genesis 19. Look at what Lot says. I want you to look at Genesis 19. I need you guys to look at the scripture. It's much more powerful if you read along. Genesis 19, 17 through 20. They're running out of the city, and the angel of God, the angels of God are speaking to Lot. And it says in verse 17 of chapter 19, And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. Notice, he's not looking to God for his deliverance. He's looking to the city. He's looking to the world. He looks at the hills. He doesn't see provision. Okay? He would actually have to rely on God. But he doesn't see that. Instead, he saw Sodom and the fertile land. And yeah, he got busted out of it. But he wanted to hold on to it as much as he could. The angels of God told him, run to the hills. You'll be provided for. He says, no, no, no. Let me stay in this little city. And if you read your Bible, the end of Lot is very, very shameful. It's very, very sad. And you know what happens to Lot? That city wasn't enough for him. In fact, he became filled with fear, and it says that he left with his two daughters, all that remained, and they lived in caves. This was a man who once had just as much as Abraham, so much that they couldn't live together. He had so much, but he trusted in the world. He tried to manipulate the world. He tried to live in the world. He looked for provision from the world, 
And he ended up with just his two daughters. And how did they procreate? The last couple verses aloud, perhaps the most shameful in the Bible. His daughters get him drunk to sleep with their father and to have children through their father. Because there's no one else to find procreation through. There's no one else for provision. That is the end of the man who trusted in the world. That's it. That's the last we read of Lot. It's a strong warning, church. As you begin to love the things of the world, you become overcome by it. As you begin to try and manipulate the things of this world, try and find provision on your own, uh, you'll be overcome by fear, and soon you will have nothing at all. You guys remember the first temptation of Jesus? Satan said to Jesus, if you're truly the Son of God, turn those stones into bread. Jesus responded this, Matthew 4, 4, it says this, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus refused to turn the stones to bread because he knew it was the Father's job to provide. He refused to turn the stones into bread because he knew it was the Father's job to provide. Church, we got to get this. We got to get this. We got to know that it's the Father's job to provide. That if we're supposed to get this big sanctuary... If we're supposed to get all this provision, all these things, we got to look to the Father. Now, we be wise, we be shrewd, but we ultimately look to Him. We want to see reunification. We have to be looking to God. There's no way we can manipulate things on our own. We'll just be left with nothing. We have to look to the Father. So I have to ask you, church, what's your level of faith? What is your level of faith? If you were to find out that tomorrow they were cutting 50% of all English teachers in Korea, how would you respond? Do you have peace? Do you know that as you pray, the Father is going to provide and God's going to elevate you? That as 50% are wiped out, that those that remain are going to have more favor? Are you going to look at it that way? Are you going to look at the way that, oh, I might lose my job? I, I, might, I might have to leave Korea. I made a 10-year commitment. What's going to happen? Panic. Okay, what's your level of faith? If there was another recession in the economy, how would you respond? Would you have strength? Would you just have peace and know that God's going to provide? Or would you be trying to do everything that you can to hold on to your money and, and, and to try and get rich according to the world? Because you know, ultimately, in the end, the economy is going to be given over to Satan. It's just the truth. I'm not saying right now it is, okay? But I'm saying that is what's going to happen in the end. And I have to say that what I'm speaking pers- you know, right now is something that I really have to take to heart personally. And uh, I'll tell you, in, in raising support, a trick, a trick can come in your mind that you will try and manipulate the things of this world. That if you have a person who is rich, uh, a connection who is rich, you'll think, oh, now God's going to provide. Now God's going to take care of everything. And I, I was listening to Pastor Christian's Sunday Swim exp- excerpt and how he said that, it's pretty hard, you know, to, to get support out of rich people. And uh, I, I have to say there's, there's a partial truth in that. But I believe it's really hard to get money out of them when you're relying on them rather than God for your provision. And that's the trick that Satan will try and do. And he'll try and say, oh, look, you just met someone with influence. Use them. You just met this person with, with a lot of favor. Okay, you've you got to try and manipulate this as best you can. Who are you looking to for your provision then? Are you looking to God or are you looking to that person? I can guarantee you God will not bless it. God will not bless it whatsoever and you'll be disappointed. The funny thing is for me, uh, and I've shared this before, I I haven't sent support letters since I think 2006 uh, or anything like that. 
the people that I would have expected to support me over these six years, none of them supported me. The people that I disciple, the people that I mentored, the people that I sowed into their life, people that I led to Christ, they didn't support. But God provided through all these people that I didn't even meet, through all these different means. And I really believe that's the way God works. Because, you know, if, if I was trying to do it in the natural, I would be relying on these people. Okay, oh, yeah, I invest in this person. Let me try and manipulate them, you know, for support and provision. Or I'm going to count on these people because I know I help them. They owe it to me. That is so demonic. That is really demonic when you think about it. And I, I want to encourage you guys who are raising support. You need to have the right mindset in this. Nobody owes you anything. Your treasures are in heaven. And God will provide. He is your Father. He will meet all your needs according to, your glorious, according to His glorious riches. And He's proved it to me time and time again. And I have to laugh. Because I'll meet these people with these deep pockets and stuff. And I'll get to know them. I'll share the vision. They'll get really blessed. And they'll give an offering of like, you know, 10 bucks. They're okay, you know, thank you. And praise God. And then I'll meet someone who's, who's living off of barely anything. I'll share with them. And, and I won't expect anything at all. And they'll give like a $1,000 offering. I'm like, what on earth? But that's the way of the kingdom. That's the way of faith. And God honors that and blesses that. And we need to have that level of faith that God is going to give us key relationships, church. God is going to give this house key relationships. And some of them are are going to bless this house and and enable this house to expand. But others are, are just people we're meant to love on, just like any other person who enters this house. And that we need to love them just like we love any other person. And that when God wants to open up favor, he'll give us the favor. But otherwise, we just love them. We be faithful. And we trust that God will provide. That God will meet our needs. Uh, Pastor Christian was sharing about Christian witchcraft during Sunday Swim. What's Christian witchcraft? It's manipulation. It's manipulation. You know, I know that if I really wanted to raise support for Jerusalem ministry, I could raise a lot of money. I could manipulate people so demonically. I could tell them about the needs of these children and they need, they have needs. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm acting in my own flesh and I'm trying to raise money out of my own flesh, I'm trying to do things out of my own spirit, my own soul. That's not blessed by God. That puts people in bondage. It causes compulsion. Okay. It causes people to, to give not out of the Holy spirit, but out of, out of a guilt that's not of God. All right. I trust in the Lord and I know that the leadership of this house trusts in the Lord. I know that you guys trust in the Lord as well. But he's saying, church, let's go higher. Let's go higher. Next year's the year of increase. First thing we need to expect is an increase in faith, an increase in dreams. Okay, if we're supposed to have these relationships to influence, let's, let's do this. Let's have it now. Okay, and it's already happening. I, I know that, that there were some meetings today. People were meeting different people of, of influence. God is already putting those seeds in this house. It's already happening. But I don't think it's just for Pastor Christian or Pastor Aaron or for myself and Sky. It's for this entire house. I mean, we've already seen it over these past couple of years. All these people from IHOP coming. I mean, look at Caleb Mina's wedding. Kirk Bennett, Pastor Rob, Rodney Henderson were there. Kirk Bennett has so much influence in IHOP. And he came to the wedding and he prayed a blessing over them. Guys, that's just the beginning. That's so small in what God has in store for this house. It's so tiny compared to the relationships that God is going to give this house, the key relationships, the influence. I mean, church, if, if North Korea opens up today, who's going to take it? Who of faith is going to take North Korea? 
I challenge you to find churches in Korea that are praying for North Korea and fasting like our church is. There are very few. There are very few. So where should the expectation be? It should be here. It should be on us. And we need to believe that God's not going to just provide a $400,000 budget for this house. God's going to provide millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. When he says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, he says, inheritance, inheritance. Isaiah 61, it says, you will feast on the wealth of the nations and in the riches you will boast. That's Isaiah 61. That's one of the key chapters of this church. You will feast on the wealth of the nations and their riches you will boast. Church, we're going to get to a point where we don't need to manipulate anything for provision. Okay, we're not going to be relying on the world and the economy. Okay, the economy falters. We're not going to, you know, all these people raising support, you're not going to be all scared that, oh, all my supporters are going to fall away because they're not going to have any money or they're going to lose their jobs. That might be the truth. Some of them, that's what happened with me. I lost a number of supporters, 2009, as, as things were happening in the economy. But God's continued to provide. It just blows me away how he provides. And I know he's calling us to a greater level of faith. He's saying, expect more. Dream for more. You're raising $1,600 a month. That is not for a lifetime. Maybe for one year you're going to live off of that, but you shouldn't expect that for more than one year. You should expect a lot more than that. You guys should expect families. You should expect not just a wife or a husband. You should expect children, children who are blessed. That right now in Korea, as they're going to just having one child, I talk to my friends, how many children do you have? Oh, just one. That's all we can afford. That's all this economy can provide. That's what they say, and that's what they believe. So you know what? I believe that we're called to have generational blessings. And I believe that the more children we have, the more God's going to bless us, the more he's going to provide. I don't care if the economy's falling apart. He's going to provide for us. He's going to meet all our needs according to his glorious riches. We live by faith, not by sight. Amen, church? We live by the spirit of God and we need to open our mind and believe more. We need to ask God, take me to another level in faith. Take me to a higher level. Help me dream bigger. That's core value of our church. Dream big. What type of dreams are you dreaming? What are you expecting for this next year? Do you believe you're going to live by the same teacher's salary the rest of your life? Do you believe that that's God's will for you and that's going to provide for the nations? Oh, God provides your daily bread, praise the Lord. But he's calling this house for a lot more. He's calling us to have this influence. And he's calling us not to manipulate that influence, but to just praise God for it, to move into it, and to know that everywhere God leads us, we will have victory. Even though the world gets darker, where the kingdom goes... There is victory. Paul knew he wasn't supposed to go to Asia. Okay? God wasn't leading him there. There wasn't victory there in Asia at that time. At that time. But where God led Paul, Paul was blessed. The church grew. The kingdom expanded. Okay? Even though the world gets darker around us, even though things might get worse in other countries, we know God's promises for Korea. And we know that this nation, because God called it to us, because God's put put it on our heart so strongly, it's going to prosper. This nation will be blessed. Guys, our identity of this church, New Philadelphia, God is doing a new thing. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one can shut. It's the identity of this church. God is doing a new thing. He's setting before us open doors that no one can shut. This is the year of increase. We need faith to believe God for more. To know he's doing a new thing. It's not going to be this jump of faith. God wants us to go higher and higher. Because North Korea is is very close to opening up. We need to be ready for it. And I know God will equip us, but we need to be expectant for it. 
And we need to no longer look for this much more increase next year. We need to look for this much more increase. Amen, church? Okay, why don't you guys go ahead and close your eyes. I'm going to invite up the core leaders. Um, invite you guys up. We're going to do some prayer. Invite the core leaders to come up. I want us to pray together as a church, and then I'm going to invite some of you guys up to the altar. Uh, I want us to pray as a church. I want us to pray, God, increase our faith level. Lift us higher, God. Enable us to dream big. Enable us to believe you for more. Enable us to know that you are a good father and you will provide. You might give us the power and the influence to turn the stones to bread. You might give us that power to manipulate, but we will not do that. We will trust in you. You will provide all our needs. You will provide all our needs because you are our Father who provides and protects. So, church, let's pray that we may increase our capacity to receive. Let's pray that God will take this church to a whole new level in faith. Let's pray. Let's all pray together. Let's pray.